Hello, and welcome to You Bring the Robots, We Bring the Wars, a podcast about robot wars, with absolutely no mention of Doctor Who. <laughs> I am your host, Matt Awuga, and as always, I'm joined by everyone's favourite house robot, David. Hi there. And, David, we've got a real firecracker of a battle for you today, because we're covering we? the Series 5 Grand Final between Firestorm and Razor. Well, I'm re- I'm really sorry to disappoint you, Matt. Um, right, so I three, <laughs> two, one, activate. <laughs> Robot Wars all the way from now on. No more of that Doctor Who content. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Matt. I, f- I I I failed to watch Robot Wars um, this week. Um, I-, I I was watching an adventure in space and time, like we'd originally agreed. Well, I did watch it as well. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that, Matt. So, so um, I've got I've... a few things we need to touch upon before we get there. Of course. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, is there anything you want to put on the agenda before I start? Any other business? No, no. I, I'm, I'm very used at this point to you just railroading me for about 20 minutes at the top of every episode. That seems to be the way it goes these days. Yeah. So... Uh... Yeah, so, you go ahead, Matt. So, I just want to talk a little bit about Sergeant Bash and Sir <laughs> Killalong. Sure. Nah, I'm just joking. Right? <laughs> There'll be no more Robot Wars, don't worry. I know I've put some tweets out saying that the podcast has ended. Don't worry, we're moving <laughs> on to a new project. We're not really. It's the we're same not. old Doctor Who that you turn up for every week. Well, you say that. When we are, I, I stand by my uh, decision to classify this as a bonus epi- episode. We are technically not discussing an episode of Doctor Who this week. No. So, as far as I'm concerned, this is still a holiday for you, Matt. It'd be like a holiday in a caravan where foxes steal all your food <laughs> and you can hear police sirens constantly. <laughs> you're like you're right next to a a, a a major motorway yeah yeah so before we start mm-hmm. i just want to give a shout out to some friends we've made this week Ooh. in particular our new best podcast friends which podcast would this be okay so this is the married to who doctor who podcast oh yes yes um I've, I, I, I'm going to be, be be honest here. I've listened to the first couple of their episodes and I keep thinking I should get back to them because they, they're kind of similar to us. They've got um, some more seasoned fans and some newbies in the mix as yeah, well. Yeah, well, um, I was contacted this week by Jake, who's one of their hosts, and we sort of got chatting. So I started listening to their Blink episode. Yeah. And... I'm going to be totally honest with you, David, because I don't know if I've ever told you this, but mm-hmm. I've dabbled in Doctor Who podcasts. I, yes. I've tried to see where the bar is and where we fall, uh-huh. and for the most part, I find them quite inaccessible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. That's not the case with Married to Who. Like us, you know, there's those that like Doctor Who and those mm-hmm. that don't on yeah. board on their show. So it's they're, Jay- they're welcoming to newcomers. Yeah. So I just need to shout out Jake, Cody, Sam and Alex who were on the podcast that I listened to. And in mm-hmm. particular, I just wanted to mention Jill who sort of fulfills the same role I do as the sceptic that points mm-hmm. out all the really annoying, rubbish crap that comes yep. with Doctor Who. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. And 
in conversation. I've asked that they, you know, maybe submit some questions, some pointers for episode 100. That'll be next week, won't it? Uh, it will be, yes. Yeah, they might yeah. even contribute to our poetry contest. Ah, oh, well, that would be amazing. Um, and, and thank you so much uh, to, to, to those chaps, because... It's, it's not it's, just uh, chaps, there's nice. women as well. It's 2020, David. I, I use the word chaps in a completely non-gender specific yeah. way. Um, it's, uh, no, they, they seem like genuinely good eggs. And and yeah, this it's... isn't one of those like shameless promotions where they've shot us a hundred quid. It's mm-hmm. just literally, you know, they just sound like us, just people having fun. And Yeah, just you know, nattering about. That's what we're him. all here for, isn't it? It is indeed. Um yeah, I, if if I mean, who knows how far this relationship will go? I'd love to be able to like erect a little sign saying that we're twinned with the Married to Who podcast. Yeah, I might make one. Ah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, in we'll like Windows ninety five Word art. Yeah, you know, right? Off- twinned podcast from across the pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it it's quite nice. Yeah. They're, right, they're the then. only people so, I've listened to that have done a Doctor Who podcast that don't seem like total dicks. <laughs> You're including me in that. I <laughs> yeah, well, I do listen back to our recordings, David. And, you know, ever since you rejected Christ from your life, it's right. Uh, Next, yes. let's Next. move on from that. So, obviously, last week we watched the Eighth Doctor ad- adventure. We did. So yes. I put a message out onto Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. It's becoming like a little bit of a hobby for me, just to like see what people think of various things. Yeah. So I yes, you you of course don't ha- have the benefit of me of being sort of steeped in what the rec- received fan wisdom is for a given yeah. thing. So obviously, I I mean we talked about it last week. I wouldn't call it a great film, but I quite enjoyed it. So. I put a message out just asking what the next step should be for someone interested in the Eighth Doctor. Yeah. Okay. So I put a message out just saying, are there any that would be recommended? Any yes. that are essential? Any adventures, yeah. you know, that should be my next step? Mm-hmm. And of course, overall, it was just arsehole Doctor Who fans like going, when you say essential, do you mean in terms of law or quality? You should be more specific. <laughs> you know, just like, who thinks like that? Why can't people just be helpful? But I do want to shout one person out, and I, I'm going to apologise in advance, because I don't know how to pronounce this. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jacobus, or Jacobus, Jacobus, mm-hmm. uh, who actually mentioned in their post that they listen to this podcast. Oh, wow. So Hello there. Yeah, so if you're listening, well done. You're like the one good person on Reddit. <laughs> I, I mean, you can look at the other posts, and I'm, I'm not lying. Yeah, or, no, it's, or people it's a were mixed trying to bag, be Reddit. Too, I mean, I think people think I care as much as they do. So one person put mm. like, oh, here's all 50 Paul McGann audio adventures and my thoughts. Too long, yeah. didn't read. Uh, but Jacobus or Jacobus recommended the Eighth Doctor Adventury. Have, yeah, are you familiar with that, David? Yeah, so that's um, the, but it was almost it was kind of like a reboot for McGann. Mm-hmm. So for a bit of context, Big Finish started doing uh, Paul McGann stories 
uh, well before the 2005 reboot. Mm -hmm. And they were originally very much in the mould of classic Doctor Who, where it would be four-part stories, 25 to 30 minutes for a part. So about you get about two hours total for each story. Um, those are the ones that I've mostly listened to so far, uh, because I'm, you know, a, a sad enough nerd that I'm going to try. I'm trying to listen to every single one of them in chronological order that they were released. Um, but there, at a certain point, I want to say around about two thousand and three. So actually, just before the uh, RTD era reboot, they were like, "Look, let's retool this." Make it a little bit more modern. And they they just happened to hit upon what became the standard format of, I think they're 45 minute to an hour long episodes, generally speaking, self-contained stories with the occasional two-parter. Uh, so the first of, uh, and that's with a brand new companion, uh, who I, I've never heard any of her stuff, but I'm vaguely aware of her Is that um, Lucy character, Miller? Lucy Miller. Yeah, who actually in some ways is a little bit, like Rose, in that she's like a fairly ordinary working class girl, played by from... Sheridan Smith. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, there's a seal of quality. Indeed. Um, I, I, you know, the big the the producers a big finish have, have subsequently said like it's ridiculous how how much they lucked out by getting Sheridan Smith when they did in in her career, and like you know they would never get her now, um, but uh, yeah, so. That that's often considered to be a very good, accessible jumping on point. Mm. Uh, well, in, probably in particular, uh, Jacobus Jacobus, yeah, uh, recommends Horror of Glamrock. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, it's one of. I think it's in the first series, or maybe the yeah. Series. He says it's forget, the second yeah. de- second story in the series. Yeah, because I think the first one is a two parter, Blood of the Daleks. Blood of the Daleks. Yeah, so that's you know. That's potentially quite a lot to get your teeth into for a first story, but um, but I was thinking at some point that if we were to do some Eighth Doctor audio, I was leaning towards the Eighth Doctor Adventures over the original main range run, uh-huh. just for accessibility. Um, so uh, the completest of me feels like we would have to start with Blood of the Daleks, but I, I'll probably I've listened to them by before we do them on the podcast, so um, I can maybe decide whether I think we need to start there or whether we can skip ahead to a horror of glam rock. Um, which of course is a, is a pun, a, a play on uh horror of fang rock, which was a Tom Baker story. Ah, right. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. I, I was just worried it'd be some sort of doctor who Rocky horror. <laughs> well, it might be. Oh God. Who knows? <laughs> God. Did anyone mention the Chimes of Midnight? Everyone bangs on about uh, the Chimes let's of have Midnight. A look. Let me just load up Reddit because uh, I actually screen captured the one I was reading. Uh, yeah. Let me just quickly check Chimes of Midnight. So this is yeah. from Doctor Who F. Yeah. Uh, who has put still one of my favourite big finishes, dripping in atmosphere, truly disturbing and hilarious in equal measure. Yep, I would 100% agree with that assessment. Chimes of Midnight is fucking brilliant. It's also a terrible place to start with 8th Doctor audio. See, another it's... another person, and again, I can't pronounce this name, it's I mm-hmm. uh, Okay. refer to it as the Big Finish Story. 
it has it has quite the reputation and it is brilliant it's written by robert shearman who wrote uh, dalek in series mm-hmm. one um and wrote, who, who wrote some other stuff for big finish as well all of which has a very high standard and it tends towards being quite experimental and has sort of quite he has quite a dark sense of humor which i think does come through in dalek as well um it's a brilliant piece of drama um but it is it's like the way people suggest blink as a starting point for doctor who when it's it's a good it's interesting self-contained work of art but it's not it's not a good representation of what you're gonna get it's essential in terms of quality but not law is that what you're saying that's effectively what I'm saying, yes. But... Imagine an episode having <laughs> essential quality. Like, yeah. you simply cannot enjoy anything else. It's it's absurd to me that anyone would describe anything Doctor Who related as essential. The entire purpose of Doctor Who is that it is utter nonsense (laughs) it's delightful nonsense but you don't need it you don't i'm I'm talking to all doctor who fans here none of us need this shit (laughs) we like it and it's fine that we like it but we nobody needs this no well can i can i tell you something that's going to surprise you yeah off the back of watching the eighth doctor movie last week Uh uh-huh and communication about it on reddit yes i have subsequently i mentioned these last week i watched another of the clever dick films oh right yes yeah and i watched the one that links the eighth doctor to the eccleston right sort of where my adventure begins with doctor yes and honestly they're they're one of the best things on youtube i really really need to get around to watching i'd rather watch them than watch doctor who (laughs) <laughs> now can yeah, i tell you a I, second I will make thing sure that i, I linked i linked to it in the show notes i linked to the uh the eighth doctor one last week so i'll do the same for this can week. i tell you a second thing that's going to surprise you go on i would rather watch an adventure in space and time than watch most of doctor who i really like this i am so happy to hear that matt I am so so happy because you know I, this has been on the docket pretty much from day one mm. um certainly my my long-term game plan with this podcast was to at the very least get to the 50th anniversary with you and to me an adventure space and time is to use that word an essential part of that experience it was the other main thing that was commissioned to celebrate 50 years of doctor who and it's it is a beautiful love letter to the show. But beyond that, I, I will go on record as saying, as I think, whether you're a Doctor Who fan or not, this is one of the best films made about show business ever. I think, in, in, in you know, in the way that you, you often get, like, films made about Hollywood and, and stuff mm. like that. But you so rarely get stuff that's about the more nitty-gritty. Yeah. Um, and... The BBC in the 1960s was simultaneously this sort of old school, old school bureaucracy, but was be, being infiltrated by these very young, very progressive, very creative people uh, who were slowly transforming it. And Doctor Who's story 
is a perfect reflection of what was going on in, in, in other parts of the BBC as well at that time. And it's so lovely to see that explored in such loving detail. I, I, I think if I have one criticism, yeah, I, I, I can't really believe I'm going to say this after everything I've said about watching this. I'd, yeah. I'd maybe have split it into a two-parter or a short series. Because <laughs> there's certain things that happen just out of nowhere really quickly and aren't yeah. really followed up on. Yeah, it would be it would have been lovely and, to have had a little more time and breathing room. Mm. Um but I think at the end of the day Mark Gatiss went with what he could. He was actually trying to get this film made before the the show was even brought back in 2005. Mm-hmm. This is a such a labour of love for him. And I think it, it is his greatest contribution to the fandom. Oh, 100%. Um, 100%. Like as, even coming for me as someone who does enjoy his episodes, and I, I think overall he is a pretty solid Doctor Who writer with, with flashes of absolute brilliance. I'd say that's is, subjective. Um, it is, of course it's subjective. Um, but I'd, I'd also say it's incorrect. <laughs> yeah, and, and many people would agree with you, but I will always defend Mark Gatiss. I think I think he he's an, an interesting and creative voice, and, and the show would be the worse off w- without his contributions. But having said that, this is the pinnacle of everything he has given to Doctor Who. Um, this it, it's 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 a beautiful film. Um, and yeah, as you say, maybe a little bit rushed in spots. Like uh, there's one p- bit in particular, which I'll mention when we get to that, that I think is, it's unfortunately has to be so glossed over that I really wish you could have, you could have done an hour on in itself. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what we're left with is something really special. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it uh, with you in, in, in uh, considerable depth. Mm. So, Anything uh, else before we start? I don't think so. I'm just champion of the bit. I don't want to get into this one. So, uh, what what did you have for lunch today? What did I have for lunch today? Um, I had a cheese and pickle sandwich. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's pretty good. Sweet. Right. Yeah. Let's let's get into the episode. <laughs> All righty then. Right. I feel like I need to draw breath. Right before yeah. we get into this. So, we open with the old-fashioned BBC intro. Yeah, already you you know this is... Like, if if you needed um, any reassurance that, that they were taking this seriously, there you go. It, yeah, it begins with, like, a proper old-school-style continuity announcement over the old ident. But it's then followed up with my worst fear. Yeah. So, having sort of some idea of what was going to be going on in this episode, we see the TARDIS. And I was like, oh, uh. Jesus Christ, if if this is about Doctor Who going back in time to the <laughs> making of Doctor Who, on, oh, honestly, God. I'd have flipped my lip. Uh, but, imagine if they went, like, full Charlie Kaufman meta with it. Well, I think that's maybe what they were, like, hinting at. Because that opening shot is... A police box. It's not the time. It is. It's a police box. No. So, yeah. I, you know, there's like a nice little teaser there, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a very well thought out opening, actually. Yeah, you get the nod, but then you're not, you know, this isn't the Doctor. This is William Hartnell. This is yeah. real life. So it opens, like I said, with the police box. 
The officer yeah. leaves and approaches a car and asks the driver of the car whether he's okay or not. And yeah. the driver of that car is Willie, William Hartnell. Played by uh, David, David Bradley, Bradley. Who I think, and I'd maybe even include Game of Thrones in this, I think yeah. this is maybe the best I've seen him. He is amazing in this. Yeah. he's He is, without question, incredible in this. And I, I, I know we've talked before about when we were talking about Wilf, and we sort of said he's like the dream granddad. Mm. I David Bradley's performance in this reminded me a lot of my own granddad. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I, I don't want to get too deep in it, but my, my granddad served in the military, so he was at times quite a hard character. Yeah. You know, he had a tough exterior to break. But he did have yeah. this sort of, like, loving side to him. Yeah. And that's what we yeah. get with Hartnell here, isn't it? Yeah, that hit Hartnell's journey, the the, the the way, what Doctor Who brings out of him mm. is so beautifully and perfectly explored in this film. And we'll talk about it more in, in, in detail as, 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 as it unfolds. But yeah, David Bradley is so perfectly cast in this. Yeah. I couldn't imagine anyone else doing what he does in this film. And uh, again... I don't want to jump too far ahead, but at the end, where you see a side-by-side of him and the real William Hartnell, yeah, it, you know, it, it's twin brothers, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's absolutely really bang good. on casting. Yeah. Um, so we then get a little time jump, and we see him in a dressing room. Yeah, and specifically, I like the conceit of, it's got like a yearometer on the TARDIS yeah. console. So you you see it sort of clicking back from 1966 all the way back to 1963. Yeah. And in his dressing room, he is in a foul mood when yeah. called to oh, Actually, set. yeah, so it's not 1963. I think it goes back a little, just a little bit earlier, That's doesn't right. it? That's right, yeah. So like maybe 65? Yeah, so yeah. we sort of get three periods throughout the whole show yeah it does it does eventually after this opening it kind of settles down and goes in chronological order but yeah i think we're just getting yeah we're just getting little glimpses to begin with yeah so he's he's in a foul mood when he's called to set yeah um and this is where we see ye olde tardis set for the first time yes and I, i like i mean it's easy for me to say this because there's like 50 years difference and it's in high definition but it, yeah i i remember us discussing the first time we saw the tardis when we watched an unearthly child and i said oh yeah. i don't like it it's too barren and bright white and but actually yeah. it, it's a really good design it is an amazing design absolutely iconic um and I think you grow, you get used to it in uh, when you're watching it in the show, and I think it suits the show that was being made at the time. Um, I think it's very jarring if you're coming from the Eccleston Tennant era mm. TARDIS, which is very organic looking and quite dark but, and moody. But what and, I like was because yeah. because it's almost entirely just white. Yeah, it, the only thing to focus your attention on is Hartnell. Yes, and. That that's where you want your attention to be in this show. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And that performance. So yeah, he's not in a very good mood. We see the TARDIS set. We see a Cyberman having a little smoke. 
Yeah. And he and a stage. That's a lovely little reference. There's actually it's it doesn't it's not exactly the right Cyberman, but it's like a little nod to quite a famous behind the scenes photo of um I forget which performer it is, but a, a Cyberman performer having a cheeky fag between shooting, and someone just snapped it as quite a candid shot, and it's just such a lovely absurd image. I, I always think like when I watch modern TV like set in the past like this. Yeah. You know. Because smoking just, I mean, it still happens in Britain, but it's nowhere near as widespread. Like, do do actors like that? What, pretending to smoke? Or, you know, like, are are there, like, good fake cigarettes that make it look like smoke, or do they actually have to smoke? Yeah, no, you you have stage and and screen cigarettes where... They're they're not going to damage your lungs. You're oh, not good. you're not inhaling tobacco, but but they they apparently still like absolutely stink and are horrible. Mm. Like, but, yeah. but um, but ultimately, you know, they they are just for appearance. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel kind of sorry for everyone who had to work on something like Mad Men, where it's just like it's just wall to wall smoking for years. Um, but yeah, no, I, so I love that shot. It's another lovely this this is so peppered with tiny little Easter eggs mm. and nods. And I'll, I'll try to point them out as we go along. I'm sure I'll gloss over some, but uh, anyway, yeah. So they all blame Hartnell for the holdup. And when he does finally enter the set, he has a strange moment. He freezes. Yeah. And this is where we jump back to 1962. Right, yeah. Okay. And we're first introduced to Sidney Newman. Yes, was a name we. I, I'm sure we've mentioned on the podcast before because he's he gets an on-screen reference in uh, Human Nature. Is that when the fact. doctor names his parents? Yes, as as John Smith, he refers to his parents as Sydney and Verity. Yeah, I, I yeah. thought that was the case. Yeah, and he's the new BBC head of drama. Yeah, Canadian. Yeah. Um. So a and, b- bit of an outsider's and eye. He sort of got that big post-war personality hasn't he yes yeah he's he's definitely this sort of like larger than life character played very well by by brian cox it's mm. probably like the the broadest performance in the the this film but it fits it feels right yeah. like because he does feel almost like a cartoon character come to life yeah um but and you can see why people get swept up in that but his performance in in the way that um, David Bradley's performance grows, I I like that Brian Cox's sort of goes the other way. He starts out larger yeah. than life, and then we sort yeah. of find his human side and are introduced yeah, yeah, to him as a yeah. real person. And yeah, you know, some, he's not a caricature of, bra- of himself. No, that kind of the bravado slowly fades away as as he has to sort of make some tougher decisions and, and things like that but yeah yeah so it, it, again just a really i mean we're just going to say this about everyone in the core cast of this they are all so fucking good oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> the, the, the the acting the directing the music in this film it's it's just all i mean I, on point I, I wouldn't ordinarily go out my way to say this but i'd recommend this yeah i, I you know. I think, like I say, even if you're not a Doctor Who fan, if you're just someone who is interested in 
how TV used to be made. Or if you like a good underdog story, because that's what this is. Mm. This is in the same way like a sports movie or something like this is, you know, Doctor Who is kind of the little show that could. There were so many times early in its career that it, that, that it, it was very nearly cancelled. Mm-hmm. And every time it pulls through, um, and, and this obviously touches on some of the major ones. There, there are others that chapters in its history that aren't explored in this film. But but yeah, there is, there is just something about Doctor Who and how it's... Whatever troubles it goes through, it's an it, it's such an enduring, appealing idea mm. that once someone had it, it could never be killed. Yeah. Um, well, that so, wasn't yeah. always the case. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, everybody in Britain loves Grandstand. Yep. Subsequently being cancelled whilst Doctor Who continues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I used to... Hate Grandstand. I, I was. I hated Grandstand as well because it just took up most of Saturday. Yeah, and it was awful. And it was always, it was always sport that you yeah. wouldn't want to watch. Like I, I'm yeah. going to say, and, the worst. By the time you got to the, the 90s. worst thing about British television is the amount of time dedicated to fucking horse racing. <laughs> Not Doctor Who. Horse yeah. racing. Horse racing, yeah. Mate, I mean, yeah, don't get me started on horse racing. But uh, I don't know whether it's it, on a purely televisual level. At least there is some excitement to it. What about bulls? Oh, no, I'd watch that. I, I would really? say. Yeah, I, I've got fond memories of watching, like, lawn bowls. But <laughs> I, you would tune in, and basically you wanted the football news... And then snooker and darts were all right if they were on. Yeah, and then, I don't mind a bit of snooker. You know, then you want like your lawn bowls or just you know different pub games, skittles, uh-huh. things like that. <laughs> but when it's like two and a half hours dedicated to lawn hockey, yeah, yeah, can't be doing with that. And I know, anyway, I know yeah, it's so... big in America, but who in Britain wants to watch basketball? Indeed, it's it's not. It's not part of our culture. No. Um, so, but anyway, yeah. So Grandstand, good riddance. Yeah. But, Except uh, the but theme anyway, tune. Yes. The theme tune to Grandstand was class. It was, yeah. Of course, not actually composed for Grandstand. <laughs> it was just a piece of library music that they picked. Yeah. Um, and so everyone at the time loved Grandstand, but yeah. everyone stopped watching before Jukebox Jury came on. Yeah. Was that yeah, like a forerunner this... to Top of the Pops? Uh, it was rather, yeah. One of um, one of the most shameful bits of the BBC archive that got junked, um, uh, along with some classic episodes of Doctor Who. You know, one of the holy grails of missing uh, in action TV that was, you know, wiped uh, in the in the seventies or eighties. Was the Beatles' appearance on Jukebox Jury? Uh, I, I don't Jukebox like the Beatles. Jury. Good, good. Yeah. I tell you what, if you I... think I hate Doctor Who, wait till I start talking <laughs> about the Beatles. <laughs> hate them. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so they had they had a gap in the schedule. Yeah. That they need they needed something to bridge. Yeah. So he proposes sci-fi. Yeah. Okay. And then this is where we're to the in... sort of general dismay of the sort of very stuffy. 
besuited old Oxford types. Yeah. Uh, in in the room with him. Yeah. Because I can't remember at this point he he does sort of like a big speech, doesn't he? Yeah. About trying to keep the young audience that like jukebox jury as well as yeah. maintaining the older audience that like grandstand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So his his aim right from the start was broad family appeal. Mm. And that's actually something that I that I get really that I it, it, you know is something that I I I've occasionally gotten into uh, discussions with with people online, but when people who who seem to forget that that is the aim with Doctor Who. It it should be a show for everyone. And when it gets too in the weeds, or it gets a bit too dark and adult, or it gets too stupid and kiddie like mm. that. That the, the something's gone wrong there. You've got to try and find that balance for Doctor Who to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, and so yeah. So what 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 he comes up with is uh, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we're introduced to Verity. Yes, played by Jessica Rain that we've seen before. Yes. We have yes, quite recently she in fact in Hyde. Empath lady. In the yeah, episode, yeah. She was very good in that. She is very good in this. Yeah, very, very good in this. I would say. Yeah, because um, alongside Hartnell, she's like the leading persona, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. I would say what happens is basically in this. It's kind of like a film of two halves. The first half, Verity is almost our main character. Mm-hmm. I would say, and as she she sort of steps away, William Hartnell kind of becomes our main character for the for the second half of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, she's fantastic in this. Um, uh, when we first meet her, she's having a party and they're discussing the first woman in space. Mm-hmm. And that's almost a metaphor for this idea that women can do anything. Because, yes. you know, we later yeah. see the BBC is jobs for the boys. Yeah, you know, yeah. And she's not necessarily welcome there. So, exactly. Yeah. She. 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 Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know. I don't know if she was actually at a party. Whether she did watch the thing, but it, like it works as a bit of dramatic license for, just yeah, drawing that thread between various pioneering women, and, and specifically, obviously, being the first woman in space, and then work going on to work on this science fiction show, that's very outward looking in that same it, way. It did sort of annoy um, me that she was having a serious conversation with her friend about careers and where she's yeah. going in life, just whilst having a little dance. Yeah, just you know, doing the twist. If, if that was you dancing <laughs> and you went, "Oh, Matt, I've just got some career concerns," I'd probably at some point say, "Shall we step into the kitchen and have this discussion?" <laughs> but you've got to, you've got, you've got to let everyone know that it's definitely still the nineteen sixties. You've got to show them twisting. It's. I'm amazed at the restraint that the director didn't have them all doing the twist in every scene. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So Sydney. Is, and, to be fair as well, it's not it's not that demanding of a dance, is it? Well, no, but that makes Even it more off-putting. Even as a very putting. unfit man could probably do the twist for a couple of minutes. That, that makes it more off-putting. Like, <laughs> if, if they were just going mental, yeah. like, whatever. Yeah. But it's the fact <laughs> that they're just slowly sort of rocking side to side, going up and down. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, just, just stand still and have a sensible <laughs> adult conversation, please. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so yes. we find out that in the past she has been Sydney's assistant. Yep. And at this point, he calls her, and 
offers her the job of producer on a sci-fi yes. show. Yeah, initially she she assumes that he's just asking for her to be his production assistant mm-hmm. again. But uh, yeah, he he's offering her the promotion of a lifetime. So one one thing I did quite like is when discussing the formula, the DNA of Doctor Who. Yeah. He talks about how he wants kids to learn something. Yeah. And that made me think of all the different points in history and all the characters we've met. And I yeah. I could see how that is still maintained to this day. It is. It kind of it waxes and wanes a little bit depending on who is calling the creative shots. Some creators within World of Doctor Who are more interested in that aspect than others. Um, but if if you were a child and you had no idea who Vincent Van Gogh was, yeah, and exactly. then you know yeah. you would know in later life now he's the man that fought a giant chicken in a church. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, for a pure historical, eh? Yeah. Um, as they're known in in the fandom. Yeah. But Not he also one says since Black Orchid. He also says no robots. Yep. And no bug-eyed monsters. Yeah. I mean, that lasts all of about 30 seconds. It, it does rather, yes. Um, and we'll, we'll touch on that a little more as the, uh, as the story unfolds. But yeah, that's a nice sort of like, e- even if you're a very casual Doctor Who fan, that, that line will stick out to you and be like, hmm, I don't know that that's really how it panned out. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So... Yeah, she's going to be the first female producer at the BBC. Yes, yeah. As, you know, Sydney, he wants someone young. He wants someone, as he says, with piss and vinegar in her veins. So, yeah. Good on you, Verity. So, we then jump across to Hartnell. Yeah. Who, at this point, is out of work. He's typecast as an army man or a criminal. You know, yeah. And he says he doesn't want to do variety performance. He's a serious yeah. actor. Yeah, he's basically he's been in this this sitcom called The Army Game. He's sick of that sort of nonsense. He he wants people to yeah take him seriously as an actor, mm. but he's and in a bit of a rut. He's quite rude to his granddaughter at this. It's time. Fucking horrible to her. <laughs> but his relationship with children is again the big metaphor that follows his character yes. arc, isn't it? Yeah, you absolutely. Know, you can and see his general mood for life depending on how he treats children around him yeah yeah so we're then back with verity yeah and all the men just laugh when she arrives and have no time for her opinion mm-hmm. and they're just dicks yeah they are just yeah Horrid and and like in different ways as well because like there's the one guy who is just outright dismissive of her, mm. and then there's the other guy who who actually features all the way through it. And I'm can't, I'm suddenly blanking on his name, and he is like a genuine historical figure, um, the one who's like the technical advisor, uh, uh, who yes, has yeah, that yeah. Ve- he has this very um, polite form of. Um, being quite dismissive of her, where he keeps saying, calling her dear lady, and like escorts her out with a gentle hand on the back, and you know, so he's still being very dismissive of her, yeah. but in a way that is less obvious, yeah, kind of more I'm just insidious. Pull up the cast list because I'm certain when I yeah. checked him, 
he was um he's actually been in Doctor Who. So oh, right. it's yeah. Jeff Roll who plays Mervyn. Yeah. Mervyn Pinfield. And what had I seen him in? Um I'm certain oh, he was in Harry Potter as Amos Diggory. Right. I'm certain when I checked he had been in Doctor Who as somebody I mean. else. But I might Oh yeah, he had played the Plantagenet in uh, in what which story? In Frontios. Oh right, yeah. Oh, so um, it looks like a long time ago. It looks yeah. like they're just horrible big monsters. Yeah. Oh, so you probably wouldn't have even known it was him. No, I've I, I'll be honest. I've I've very little. I've only seen Frontios the once. Very little of it actually went in right. at the time. <laughs> so from there. Hartnell gets a call and yep. he goes for a walk with his wife and yeah. he's not happy at being offered this role because as he says, it's for kiddies. And again, he's yeah. a very serious actor. <laughs> yes, yeah. So he's quite sceptical. And at this point, we're introduced to Waris Hussein. Yes. Who is a director. And yep. again, he's... People are prejudiced towards him because of his race. Yeah. So there's yeah. a symmetry between him and Verity. Verity yeah. is struggling because of her gender, Warris yeah. because of his race. And I I love the way this film handles this because like it's never like it's not like beating you over the head with it. It just shows you how it was. Yeah. Um and like they talk about it frankly but in a way where they're not, like, they're not, they're just almost like, ah, oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it, that we have to put up with this? Yeah. You know, it's like there is there is a, a resignedness to to them because they can't, they always can't imagine the world being any different. Because I, th- I think, um, in particular, with Warriors, they're complaining yeah. about the heat in the studio, and yeah. someone says something like, "Oh, well, you'll be all right then." And, yeah. And when he yeah. snaps back and says, "Sorry, what did you say?" The guy. Just says, oh, nothing, and walks away. Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah. it highlights uh, the sort of cowardice in the prejudice as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and does so really well. And uh, another significant thing with, with, with Boris Hussein, which isn't touched on the film because he wasn't out at the time, but he's also openly gay. Oh, really? Um, so, yeah, the, the first ever Doctor Who story was, was produced by the first ever female producer at the BBC and directed by, you know... A, a, a British Indian gay man. And when people moan about Doctor Who being too political and all that nonsense, I'm just like, it's in the fucking DNA of the show. Mm. This has always been a progressive show made by progressive people wanting to... It, it's a show made with optimism. Can can I tell about a better a better future? Can I mention something about Waris Hussein? Yes. In in the version I watched, because um, I, I watched some like copied version yeah. on Daily Motion. Yes. At the end, I think whoever had uploaded had spliced in a short yes. video where it had interviews with the cast and producers. Right. And it talked to people involved in the production of this show as yes. well as the original. And most of the people originally involved with the production of Doctor Who were either, like, 90 years old or dead. 
Yeah. Whereas what is he saying? He looks fantastic for whatever age he is. Oh yes, yeah. He uh, yeah. He, he looks better than he's better looking he's... than me, and I'm only thirty five. Yeah. yeah. No, he's. He, I couldn't believe done, it when he about. flashed up. I was <laughs> like, oh, I don't remember this actor being in it. Yeah. To be fair, he was very young when he did mm. this. It was his first serious directing job uh, that he kind of. Uh, he didn't look into it like he he it was something he really wanted to do and pursued quite aggressively mm. to get a foot in the door at the BBC but he was like kind of willing to do whatever they could but, offer him yeah was he sort of given this because it was seen as a bit of a no hoper yeah exactly yeah because you know in I the mean... same in the same way that like i um i think part of the reason that sydney Newman went with Ver- gave this opportunity to verity was cuz he was like well, I'm going to struggle to get an old hand yeah. to want to do a little kids show like this. So I will use this as an opportunity to kind of nurture some young talent. Mm-hmm. That was, I think, one one of the things he had in mind with doing this. So um, I, I uh, did like the yeah. line when Warris Hussein's introduced and he's moaning about the studio and he says it's so small, it's actually smaller on the inside. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We all know where he got that line from. Yeah, nice little nod, and uh, yeah, it's true. Like the the Lime Grove Studio is, I said, it's it's like a broom cupboard. It was it was ridiculously tiny studio. They did have problems with the sprinklers. That stuff is all true. Um, um, so yeah, when we introduced to him, he's discriminated against in a pub. Yeah. Until Verity helps him, and that yeah. sort of galvanizes their friendship. They get on, and they want to overthrow the BBC old guard. Yeah. And they then meet with Hartnell to discuss the plot of Doctor Who. Yeah. And to sell him the show, they sort of lie and exaggerate things. You know, they. I don't know that they exaggerate, well, they, but like. They have that, this a... vision of the show. Yeah. And yeah. whilst they know it's been filmed in a tiny studio, they're yeah. like, oh, you need to see this and that. And yeah, they're, they're pushing the positive things. And they do sell it to him. Yeah, to, to be honest, you know, they're young and they're creative and they are genuinely excited about this project. They're going to, they want to make their mark with it mm. um, and do the best they can with it. And, and part of that is, of course, landing a damn good lead actor. And I, and... I did like the um, analogy. And I, I don't know, did the version you watch have the interviews at the end? Uh, I d- it didn't, no. I, I, uh, you right. know, you linked them to, to me, but I didn't well, get a chance it, to watch them. They, they refer to Doctor Who as C.S. Lewis meets H.G. Wells meets Father Christmas. Yeah. And there's actual footage of William Hartnell describing the role in that term. Oh, wow. That's so th- those are I his didn't... exact words. I didn't know that uh, that Mark Gatiss nicked that from there, but that's mm. that's fantastic, yeah. And I don't think it's a, it's not a bad description. No, no. I, I think um, it's fairly cock on, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, at this point, we see... I quite like this little bit, where it showed you how the music, the titles, and the sounds are made. Yes, like, yeah. I, and again, this is a bit where I feel like, especially the sounds, oh, and they gloss over it so quickly. Yeah. And you, there is There is a similar docudrama film waiting to be made about the BBC Radiophonic Workshop mm-hmm. um, who, who produced the, the, the music and a lot of the sound effects for this and, me, and many other BBC productions as well. 
Um, but they, they kind of have to skip over it very quickly. But also that detail about how they did the original title sequence, yeah. that it's just this sort of organic byproduct of if you point one of these old cameras down its monitor, it gets this kind of feedback that turns into these beautiful abstract patterns. Yeah. And, and again, it, it... And then they sorry, just stand on. in front of it, and that's how you get the Doctor's <laughs> face in it. Yeah, I like the way they test it, they say, oh, no, oh, God, that's horrifying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, of course, they didn't do it for Hartnell. They they only introduced that with, uh, with Troughton. Mm. And I think they used a slightly different technique. I think it's more superimposed um, when they do the face rather than just doing it live whilst the effects are being generated. Um, but, yeah, again, it's just another little glimpse of the creativity and the, the outside-the-box thinking mm. that is that is happening around the formation of this show. Um, so, and, yeah, they, they, they do the pitch and it's, it's, it's enough to persuade him. And I love at the end of the scene... When you, when you, the moment that you know he's bought it, that you know he's on, he's on, on the hook. Uh, he does the the lapel grab. Yes, which is that classic Hartnell pose. Mm. That's a lovely little touch. So at this point, we're introduced to the actors that play Ian, Barbara, and Susan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Go to who they cast for Su- uh, for Caroline Ford, who played Susan, is is uncanny. Uh, I, I don't know if it's just the the hair and the makeup, but let me have a look. Uh, yeah. So playing Caroline Ford is Claudia Grant. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I've seen her anything else. No, it's, she it, she doesn't but, have a Wikipedia page. So. Yeah, but she's very well cast in this, and like you, she can tell she's been studying tapes as well. She gets the voice bang on as well. Um, of the three of them, I think she's she she looks and sounds the closest. Mm. Um, but yeah, as they have this sort of scene of the three of the, the uh, you know taking the initial promotional shots in the sort of courtyard at Television Center. Yeah. Which can we just very quickly just touch on? Television Center is an amazing building. I I've got a strange nostalgia for it, having never been yeah. there. Yeah. It, you know. I mean, what do they do there now? Just the one it's, show? I, d- I think it's... No, I don't think it's in use anymore. I think it's, like, properly decommissioned. Um, I mean, to be fair, it was probably just rammed with asbestos. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, in the way of a lot of Bruce List architecture of that period was. But it's such a striking building, and it's so... It is so iconic of the BBC in the 20th century. Mm. You know? I mean, because um, what have we got now? Media Village Salford. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, who knows? For a different generation, that might be just as iconic one day. Maybe. So, but, uh, this yeah. we get a sort of mirror of an earlier scene where Hartnell's reading to his uh, granddaughter. He's reading yeah. the script for Doctor Who now, and he's when she's asking questions about what he's saying because you know it's all sci-fi gibberish. He yes. he's like passionately explaining it to her now. And can justify what he's talking about. Yeah. You know, so he explains that he can go anywhere in his spaceship and this, that and the other. And we get the sort of first crack in that hard exterior shell. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he explains that it's... uh, This is the moment, isn't it, where he he explains to her that he's a doctor. And her question is, does he make people better? Hmm. And he doesn't answer that. He just sort of lingers for a moment. And it's like, oh, that that gets me every time. 
Um, because of course we uh, to, to to unpack it a little bit more. My at least my feelings of it, when when you when I consider that question, I think about on the show, you know, in in universe, the answer is no, not always. Yeah, he he doesn't always make people better, but then I think about what he does, what the show does for people, and how it brings families together, how it promotes a message of kindness and resolution through non-aggression and championing intelligence and, you know, so, so much other stuff. And I think, oh, you know, Doctor Who, the show is such a force for good and such a unique thing in the landscape of television that ultimately on balance. Yes. Mm. I, I think, I think it Doctor Who, as a whole, does make people better, mm. and I think that's a lovely thing. Um, and and again, it's one of those moments where you just feel you feel that you feel Mark Gatiss's love for this subject matter just radiating through the script. Um, so yeah. yeah. So the next sort of big plot point is the completion of the TARDIS set. Yes. So the show's yeah. ready to go into production, but because you know the loafy prop men won't listen to Verity, yep. <laughs> the TARDIS has been put on the back burner. They're clearly working on yeah. different things for different. And shows. I just keep fobbing her off every time because like dumb little kids show, you know, run by this uppity woman. Um, and yeah, so she just. Oh no, we we do, we don't get the resolution. Do we? This is just setting that up. It gets resolved a little bit later, yeah. doesn't it? So yeah, before yeah. it's resolved, uh, yeah. Hartnell addresses the fact that he thinks the character's too abrasive. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I thought in the first episode we watched, he was. And then less so when we watched that adventure on that planet. I forget, the yes. rescue, the- wasn't it? There, there is. If you watch, if you watch all the surviving Hartnell episodes in sequence, you will see there is a gradual softening. Mm. And I think it was, it it was coming from both directions. It was coming from Hartnell's performance. I think as he grew more comfortable in the role, um, and grew to love the part to the extent that he did, um, and also the writers responding to that, mm. and I think making more room for his warmer side to come through. Mm. Um, and when when he's putting forward this idea, I think he's still seen as quite a cantankerous old man. Yes, so this is where yeah. Sydney intervenes and really praises Hartnell, and yeah. everyone sort of panders to his ego. You know, yeah, ha- yeah, Sydney isn't able to fully praise him. He sort of says, "Oh, I saw you in a war movie once." No, yeah, knowing yeah. that was obviously... the sort of thing he did. And then yeah. I forget the name of the film, but when Hartnell goes, oh, you must mean whatever. Such and such. Yeah. Sydney goes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And yeah. there's an element it's, of bullshit there. Oh, but, definitely, definitely. But, but but Hartnell's so flattered, he doesn't he doesn't pick up on it. And then Warris comes to the rescue and mentions that he was in Brighton Rock. Yes. Which jogs his memory. and, and uh, But yeah, so he does... And, and this is, of course, you know... Hartner was was having the moan and like Verity just kind of like hooks Sydney in mm. to kind of put the fire out and so when Hartnell goes off happy having been buttered up a bit uh 
you get a very sharp turn from Sydney, where he just sort of says to Verity, look, find a day- way to deal with this stuff, or maybe you're out of your depth. Um, so it's a, I think it's like, that's kind of the wake-up call for Verity. Yeah. Um, so off the back of that, this is where she goes to the props department. Yes. And essentially yeah. tells th- this idiot in the props department <laughs> that keeps <laughs> fobbing her off. And just yeah. says, make my set. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the way she does it is like, she's like, uh, uh, on, on, on the surface level, she's like sort of praising his his talents. But in like this this way that's like dripping with sarcasm and venom, like surely you can turn your considerable talents to a little My Little Children's show. And then she just grabs a seat and, and, and just plonks herself down. But, and so he just throws something together to get rid of her. Yeah, but what he throws together is exactly what she's looking for. Because <laughs> yeah. he sort of gets an inkwell, doesn't he, and stacks yeah. things on top of it. Yeah, and, just just botches it together, get, gets a bit a bit of... Um, I think it's just... I, it's like sort of perforated cardboard used to like punch, punch out tokens or mm. whatever. And he just sort of punches a few out to give the vague impression of like... You know the 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 walls with the round, the roundels as they are mm. known. Um, so yeah, it just all of a sudden it's just there. Now I I haven't double checked this. I think there's a little bit of dramatic go- license going on in that scene. Yeah, I think there was a, a you know probably a bit more from A to B, but I do think it is is the case that they really had to harangue them to get their set on time mm-hmm. to actually go into production. Um, so they begin filming the unearthly child. Yes. And there are loads of problems. Yeah, it's an absolute shit show. See, I, I can't remember when we watched it, but in the episode, yes. do the doors just randomly open? Or was no, that, because, or they, because they reshot it. That's right, that's right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's literally the but, next thing I've got written down. But that original disastrous pilot mm-hmm. is still in existence. Oh, and wow. um, is available as like an extra on DVDs and stuff, and and it's sat now that I've got BritBox, it's sat there on BritBox, and I really need to get around to watching it at some oh, point wow. because it would be fascinating to see as a um, uh, to, as a comparison piece for what we end up with. But but yeah, no, it was famously just a complete disaster, and and Sidney Newman really put his neck on the line. And by having faith in Verity and Worris and also his own idea, because it was his baby still. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. We he, see he, him watching the footage and he hates yeah. most of what he saw, but he knows well, there's promise in what he's yes. seeing. Yes. Yeah. So, like, I, the, way, the, the way I like the way it plays out because, like, they, you, you've got them sort of sat in the studio watching back the edits and he is just, like, in stony silence. Mm the whole way through and it, the credits roll and he just pauses and says, let's go to lunch. Yeah. And then, you know, whilst he's stuffing his face, it's just sort of taking them to task over every detail. Mm. And I also love in that scene. Cause he's like, he's, he's listing off all of his, his issues. And one of the things he says is, you know, the, the, the titles are too weird. They're creepy. And Verity says, like over my dead body, we are not changing the title. So I like that you, you see Verity, Though she's the junior and like she knows she is like out on a limb being, you know, being a woman in the position that she's in and stuff, she's still not afraid to push back against Sydney. Hmm. 
when she truly believes in something. Um, and I think it's ultimately it was what made them both the right people for this job at that time. You know, you, that they that they they had enough confidence in each other that they could take and give, a, you know, notes, but also defend stuff where need be, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, so he makes the the ultimate call to just reshoot the whole pilot, which of course means it, that's a big thing to decide to do because you are throwing a lot of money in the bin mm. to do that. It's not unprecedented as well in modern times. Uh, they famously did that with Game of Thrones. Yes, that's right. They junked nearly the entire first pilot. There's a few shots in the final first episode that was actually broadcast that were taken from that original pilot. And it's really noticeable because Maisie Williams in it looks about eight years old. Yeah, she, looks, right. she looks absolutely tiny. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it's not unprecedented, but it's it's a huge risk to do something like that. So from there, Verity, again, has to sort of charm Hartnell. Yes. And this is maybe the biggest turning point in his character because he admits that the role scares him. Yeah. Says, you know, it it's an ongoing role. He's not getting any mm-hmm. younger. The long dialogue of strange terms. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a lot. It's a big it's it's a hugely demanding role and it still is today. Mm. Um so yeah, it's it's understandable that he was so trepidatious about it. So they refilm and it goes yeah. a bit better. Yeah. But it needs too many edits. Yes. However, Sydney's a lot happier with what he's seeing this time round. Yeah. It's just the moment where they mention that, that, that they're only allowed four edits per episode. Yeah. Imagine that Good nowadays. God. Imagine if we could only have four edits per podcast. I don't know. We don't cut anything out that much. Uh, generally speaking, we don't. I mean, a lot of your racial slurs are on the cutting room floor. Oh, yeah, we have to edit those um, out every week, obviously. You know. And I think the biggest thing we've ever cut out, and it's sort of in, like, pod folklore now, is that time we had a fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's so primitive, isn't it? The yeah. uh, four edits for a TV show. So, yeah, and that's why, you you know, you watch the, the, the episodes that exist today, and, yeah, Hartnell does fluff his lines quite a bit at times. And the thing is... They just have to just, just soldier on. In, in modern TV, where you get these long through shots that go on forever, they're like yeah. a real badge of honour. Yes. Um, I, and also, they're often actually kind of concocted and stitched together in post-production. Oh, yeah. They're often yeah. not actually one continuous shot. They just appear to be. Yeah. Uh, where are um, we up to? So, we see the development of the Daleks. Yes. Yeah. And just as the show goes on the air, we also get the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, and I think this again. This is a really clever little moment in the the, the script and the editing where Sydney is reading the script for the Daleks, mm. um, reading the description of the thing, and it's like intercutting with these very tight close ups of. At first, you think like, is this like close ups of the Dalek? And then you're like, oh god, no, that's just an actual gun. And yeah, and and and, and you realize it's it's like it's it's just interweaving it, yeah, with the Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which yeah was hu- hugely significant in in terms of the uh, history of Doctor Who. So there's quite a lot in the next scene. So I'll run through yes. it all in one go. So yeah, the show's over budget, and yeah. the BBC blames Verity. So production's yeah. going to stop after just four episodes. The four being currently made. Yeah, Sydney's boss tells him to kill Doctor Who. So Sydney summons Verity, and yeah. she's able to justify the Daleks to him. So, yes. you know, his rule of no robots, no bug-eyed monsters, she tries yeah. to tell him that they are so much more than that. Yes. And implores him to hold his nerve. Yeah. And and to be clear, when he says you're only to do the four episodes currently in production, that is the first story. The Daleks was the second story. Mm-hmm. So it very nearly, uh, like that, 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 that the Daleks were make or break yeah. for Doctor Who. So, as she leaves, she demands that episode one be rerun, because yeah. obviously no one watched it because everyone's watching the news because of the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, and we have a little jump forward where we do see the Daleks for the first time on television. Yes. And Hartnell's granddaughter likes it. She loves it. Yep. Yep. And that's mirrored with a scene with Verity, who's on the bus on her way to work. I love that scene. the kids jump on the bus, all shouting, exterminate, running around, causing a fuss. And we see her face light up. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, she still doesn't know yet. She doesn't have the figures. Mm-hmm. And it could still be, the, you know, the end of Doctor Who if this isn't successful. But like, because she's summoned to another meeting with Sydney, and I think yes. she's getting ready to go to war again with him. She's preparing for the worst. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, except that episode got ten million viewers. Yeah, I just love every moment of that scene. Like the 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 rhythm of it is perfect. You know, she walks down this unnecessarily long office, doesn't sit. And and Cindy's just sat there shuffling his bits of paper, and he doesn't even greet her. He doesn't look up. All he says is just ten million viewers, ten million viewers for your bug-eyed monsters. So what the hell do I know? Yeah. And yeah, and she just obviously just walks out, just like walking on air. Yeah, because um, we get that bit where she meets Warris and they celebrate together. Yeah, just uh, looking over the courtyard and TV centre. It's a beaut. The, this is where the this. <laughs> It's moments like this that, honestly, even though I've seen this, what, four or five times now, maybe, it makes my heart sore every time watching those scenes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's suddenly that the, the, they know they're onto a winner and, like, you know, Doctor Who is looking a bit more secure for a bit. Mm. So we now fast forward to 1964. Yeah. The show's on a bit of a high, everyone's enjoying themselves. Yeah. And Hartnell upsets the actress that plays Susan. Uh, yes. She buys some nice new clothes and he's like, well, you've got to take care of your money. This show's not forever. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and then he immediately buys her some flowers to cheer her up. So again, yeah. we're just seeing him soften step by step, aren't we? Well, yeah, and, and I like that the, the uh, uh, William Russell, or the, well, the actor playing William Russell, uh, who who obviously portrayed Ian. I did mention actually. The, do you remember the the, uh, the the doorman? Yes. At the start, I, uh, who's like, not this is not the way we do things in the BBC. That's William Russell. Yeah, I I saw yeah. that on some trivia. So when Sydney yeah, arrives at the BBC, it. yeah. He's like, I'm in charge now. And he's just like, no, sir, we don't do things like that. Yeah, I did see that trivia. Yeah, it's a lovely cameo. Um, 
but yeah, I, I like that that William Russell in this just sort of when when uh, Hartnell's taking her to task, just says, "Oh, uh, yeah, fancy anything at Newmarket today, Bill?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I, I you can kind of see where Hartnell's coming from as well because obviously he is a much more experienced actor and he knows that it's not a secure profession. Yeah. That you're going to be in and out of work and all the time. He, he almost does have her best interests at heart. He's just he absolutely doesn't does. he's know just how to about... show it. Yeah, he's just got the tact of a sledgehammer. So then, um, the next scene is Waris Hussein leaving the show. Yeah. And you know he says farewell, and yeah, you get the feeling that people don't appreciate his importance. You know, he sort well, of he... escapes without a lot of fanfare. Well, to be fair, you know, directors, they, they always come and go with Doctor Who. Like, you know, he did he did um, An Unearthly Child, which was, you know, one of the most thankless jobs in uh, television history. <laughs> they persuaded him back to do Marco Polo, which is now sadly completely lost. Oh, really? All four episodes. And that that was the, the scene where... That's what they were filming in that, that previous scene where uh, Hartnell's uh, snaps at, at yeah. uh, Caroline Ford. Um, and, you, you know, you saw they had these very opulent, lavish costumes and sets and things like that. And Waris Hussein proving what he could do with that, that led him on to do other, like, costume drama and, and more prestigious stuff. Yeah. So you cannot blame him for wanting to move on to bigger and better things. But by the same token, it's it's a shame that he only ever did those two stories, and probably the the, the better of the two is uh, is now lost. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. Um. But yeah, it's our first glimpse of what is one of the the saddest but most brilliant and unique things about Doctor Who in that nothing is fixed. Yeah, it's cyclical, nobody, isn't it? Yeah, nobody, no single person has ownership mm. of Doctor Who. It's something that people come in and out of. And, uh, yeah, we obviously we see that echoed again and again through this film and then obviously all the way through Doctor Who's history. Um, but, yeah, this is a, kind of one of our first glimpses of that. So we see the publication of the Doctor Who annual. Yeah, iconic cover. Um, I don't know how much cop- uh, decent copies of that uh, change hands for these days. Should, a fair whack, Should we do I a quick say. eBay scan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor Who annual, nineteen sixty-four. I think it'll Doctor be. Doctor Who annual, nineteen sixty-four. Uh, well, the night. Oh, the first Doctor Who. Oh no, that's a Dalek book. Ah, oh, £150. Yeah, there you oh, go. There's a pre-owned one for £9. I'm going to place a bid. £15. Let's see if I win it. I wonder if it's a reprint. Uh, Double check, because I think they might have reprinted that first one. I could be wrong. Uh, it doesn't say in the description, and it does look quite old and battered. Uh, wow. Uh, I mean, to be fair, they shifted... a absolute fuck ton of them. I'm just going to say like, this now. You know. If I win this, I'm not going to increase my bid from £15. <laughs> We're going to record a bonus episode where we play the board game from the book Journey Back to Earth. Oh, oh I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that would be fun. They, they've 
kindly like put in some pictures, uh, but most of it seems mm-hmm. to be like the damaged spine of the book to show where it's. <laughs> Let's just see how I get on with that. There we yeah. go, fifteen pounds. Yeah. Right, we got sidetracked there. So we did. Hartnell yeah. signs an autograph for little Alan. Oh, this is a lovely scene. Now, I wonder, because is... they make a big fuss of him like yeah. going, what's your name? And he's like, Alan. And he says, okay, yeah. Alan. I wondered if that was someone who was, you know, in 50 years' time was like, oh, yeah, I'm showrunner for Doctor Who now, and it's all inspired I... by this interaction I had with William nah, Hartnell. I don't think so. No, because when he signed <laughs> that autograph, there's just loads of kids, and yeah. Hartnell is I... loving it. Yeah, it's it's a lovely scene, isn't it? He sort of hijacks a school trip <laughs> just does, yeah. to take kids on the like little adventure with Doctor Who. Yeah, and and you know that's it's that scene is just kind of shorthand for showing us how much he's fallen in love with this role, mm. and how it's almost like it's it's unlocked a part of him he didn't know was there. He didn't know that he could. Or wanted to connect with children on this level. Hmm. Well, that's it. He's gone from hating one child to loving all the children. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's it's a lovely scene. So production on the show is ramping up. Yeah. Everyone seems a little bit stressed, and the actress playing Susan leaves. Yeah. And yeah. this seems to have a massive impact on Hartnell. So yeah. They and they yeah. have a moment. Where they sort of hug and say goodbye. And in his performance of that episode, he seems to be struggling sort of emotionally. Yeah. With things. Yeah. And I I think, yeah, again, it's it's very true to what what it was actually like for Hartnell, you know. He didn't like people leaving. And, you know, this was the first time that you ever had a change in the core cast of Doctor Who. Mm. The first companion to leave the TARDIS. Um, so, yeah, I think it was it was tough. It was it was tough for everyone involved, I think, because, again, it's a, one of those moments where it's just like, well, can the show survive this? Will people accept new characters coming onto the TARDIS? And, you know, will, will, will the actors have the same chemistry? Uh, or will they all want to leave, you know? Um, so, so yeah, yeah. We then jump to 1965, where Hartnell's yeah. wife's sort of imploring him to stop, but he yeah. now feels pivotal to the show that everyone's relying on him. Yes, he is Doctor Who. You know, you can't have Doctor Who without Doctor Who. So know, his says. health is failing to the extent yeah. that his wife speaks to Verity about it. Yeah, yeah, because it is. It was such a grueling show to work on. I'm just going to pause for a second because I actually want to grab something that I want to read. I forgot to grab it before it came up. Uh, so give me just two seconds. Keep rolling. Hope everyone's having a nice day. Just whilst we're waiting for David to get his bits and bobs together, um, I am a little bit upset. David didn't ask what I had for lunch earlier in the episode when I was talking to him. Um, I actually went to a cafe with my wife. I had a bacon and brie toasty. It was lovely. Um, I think my wife had a ham and mushroom toasty. She had a latte. I had an espresso. It was lovely. 
I don't know where he's gone to get this stuff from. Oh, can hear a bit of commotion. He must be coming back. Sounds like he was upstairs. Sorry, I need to go back downstairs because my dog's being an idiot. Okay, no problem. Just gone. Just gone. Sort his dog out. You know, people question my dedication to this podcast, but I'm not the one that goes downstairs when the dog's kicking off. I'm here for you all the time. And yet, people on Twitter still send me rude messages. I hope his dog's okay. I thought I'd let Moss out, mm -hmm. but uh, then he just uh, started gobbing off at the Huskies. Uh, it's okay. Over the road. I just had some alone time with the listeners, don't worry. <laughs> I'll be interested to uh, find that out in the edit. Um, but yeah, so I, I just kind of... This seems like an appropriate moment to, to pop it in. I just wanted to read uh, to you something I was reading from an issue with Doctor Who magazine recently. Um where they'd uh, they dug up an an, a, a, an interview well a sort of an interview with uh, William Hartnell he did he didn't really give many interviews at the time but um, a, a school kid once wrote to him uh -huh. for a school project and, and said if I if I can I interview and he said look just send me a letter with some questions and I'll do my best to answer them so he wrote his answers back to them and one of the questions was, how long do you rehearse a day and are you exhausted by the time you get home? So he just described his his weekly schedule uh -huh. when working on this show. So I just want to give you a bit more context for what he was going through whilst being quite ill. Monday and Tuesday, we rehearse from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we stop earlier and have a long script conference with our producer, director and the writer. Some scripts may need a lot of alteration, so we all put forward our ideas and work things out together. On Thursdays, we either rehearse or go to the film studios for special filming. On Friday, we are in the TV studio at 10am and rehearse with the cameras and sound and electricians, etc. all day. We have a picnic lunch in the studio. We have a half hour break for tea and any special photo calls. Then we have two full dress rehearsals and finally record the show at 9 p.m we generally get out of the studio at about 10 30 p.m or 11 p.m i stay in london all week and return home by car late on friday night getting home about 1 a.m exhausted wow it's a pretty full shift How... yeah and that's you know you work bloody hard as a teacher but um don't say that i haven't been to work for six months <laughs> that's true I'm going back this week i'm scared uh, but um, but yeah, that it, it it the way TV was produced back then, it was so intense. It was like learning and rehearsing a play mm. every week, a new half hour play every week, and going it over it again and again, and then rehearsing it with the technicians, getting all the cameras into position. You saw in the scenes where Warris Hussein is directing, and he's just as live cutting between cameras saying, okay, camera one over here, now camera two, move to here, come in tight. And it's like directing, it's like... It's like air traffic like, control. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really intense stuff. It's so different to how we think of directing now, 
where you think of these sort of great auteur directors who are just you know have everything mapped out and and, and or, or 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 alternatively just shoot things in this very organic way on the fly like oh why don't we try this why don't we move the camera over here and we'll shoot this and we'll piece it all together in the edit and none of that mm. you they have to get it bang on in more or less in one take um so yeah it 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 really started to take a toll on him in the same way that it did frankly a, a lot of the the earlier actors um i'd say Troughton and, and pertwee as well had uh similarly grueling schedules i think things started to ease up a little bit for pertwee because they started to move to, more towards a more modern production style mm-hmm. but um yeah the black and white years it was basically all produced in that fashion not good no not good for a man whose health is failing no indeed so when Hartnell's wife explains to Verity that William's health is poor uh, Verity says well I'll mention that to my successor because she's also leaving the show yeah and Hartnell is really struggling at present with loads of complex lines and he says I don't think I could do this without you Verity you're my rock yeah. Oh God, it's a it's an awful moment, isn't it? And yeah, she thanks Hartnell for everything and says goodbye. So yeah, this is where you know it's not going to be a happy ending from here on out. No, no. Uh, and we've seen that because the new crew, the new showrunner, producer, and everybody come in, and they say, "Okay, Bill, let's start again." And yeah. he goes, well, it's Mr. Hartnell to you. Yes, he says, maybe yeah. when I get to know you. And he's sort of regressed to his old self, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He'd, you know, he'd, he'd opened himself up to these people and they've all left. Yeah. So, you know, that must be a hard thing, you know, and, 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 but it, and it, it gets worse and worse from there, doesn't it? Because like, like nobody really seems to know what they're doing. Yeah. You so know, he has to like, there's some stage directions where he's like, press yeah. that button to open the door. And he's like, yeah. but that's not the button to open the door. Yes, yeah. yes. Because earlier he was very particular. Do you remember yeah. when he was he was saying, we need this set because I need to know, I need to decide what all the buttons are going to be because the children will notice. Yeah. That's what he says. Yeah. And, and when the yeah. TARDIS enters flight and the centre console moves up and down, yeah. nobody knows which switch to press to get it to do that, so he ends up doing yeah. it himself. Yeah. So I can understand his frustrations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we then jump forward to 1966. Yeah. Where Sidney's told by his boss, Hartnell's reaching the end. And when they say you can't have Doctor Who without Doctor Who, we know where we're going with this. So Hartnell yeah. Yeah. meets with Sydney. He explains that he needs time off. The schedule's getting a bit much for him. He also says, is it possible I can start ad-libbing? Because I'm struggling with the lines. Mm-hmm. And I dare say at this point, he's almost a little bit big for his boots. Yeah, because he believes he's irreplaceable. Yeah. And of course, the hard truth, which we're about to find out, is that it's especially in Doctor Who, nobody is irreplaceable. Mm. So... Sidney explains that he doesn't want him and we're introduced to Patrick Troughton. Yes. Played by Reese Shearsmith. Yeah, did you catch it from the from the uh 
photo that he slides across the desk. Did you did you recognise him there? Or? No, it was when he was yeah. you know chatting away. So and, and lovely de- detail that was like Patrick's uh, Patrick Troughton's go to headshot and it's like quite it? a famous photo of him like with the old BBC microphone and stuff. Mm. So um, yeah, they they re- recreated that exact photo so you, with. Reece you've got Shearsmith. that League of Gentlemen connection there, haven't you? Yeah, this is obviously just a, just a gift to his mate <laughs> because to be honest, Reese Shearsmith. He gets the voice and the mannerisms fairly well, but he he doesn't look like Trout at all. No. You know? <laughs> he just looks like Reese Shearsmith in a silly wig. So we then but, jump uh, yeah. all the way back to the start of the episode where Hartnell sat in his car, and it turns out yeah. that is immediately following this meeting. He's, yeah. you know, still in shock from what he's been told. Yeah, and... and the, all of a sudden, the, the words that the policeman say to him have a, have a different meaning. He says, you need to move on, sir. You're in the way. Mm. Yeah. So he goes home and tells his wife that he's leaving. Yeah. And when she says, oh, I'll go make a brew, because that makes everything yeah. better. That's, it's the British way, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you're, you know, you're clearly inconsolably sad. I'll make you a cup of tea. Yeah. So... While she goes to pop the kettle on, he says yeah. he doesn't want to go and breaks down in tears. Oh my god, this scene! And I, I, I mean, this shouldn't come as a surprise to our listeners. I cry at a lot of things. This scene makes me cry every time I watch do, it. Do you know what? I'm not going to go as far as to say that I cry, but when I was watching the Clever Dick film about linking yeah. the eighth to the ninth Doctor. Yeah. Um, when it shows you the end and you've got Eccleston saying, you know, you were fantastic and so was I. I don't yeah. know, there was quite a few bits when I rewatched that that really got to me. Yeah. Um, it's the power of this show, man. It's just... Nah, it's not as good as Robot was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as emotionally as invested as I am in Robot Wars. <laughs> But of course, yeah, he say, he says, I don't want to go. It's, it's uh, what the Tenth Doctor said. Mm. And he was well, on yeah, the way the, out. Well, yeah, I did, I did make that connection as well. Yeah, yeah, but the way Hartnell... Or, or, sorry, the way um, David Bradley plays it, like, it, it's not it's not just a little sniffle. He is properly sobbing yeah, and breaking down. And, oh... And it's it just feels so real, so so real. The final scene. We're back on set now, where he's having a yeah. joke with Troughton. You know, he's almost at peace with what's going to happen. Yeah. Except when he starts delivering his lines, sort of the magnitude gets to him. Yeah. And at first, I didn't like this moment, but the more I thought about it, the more I do. Yeah. He, he looks round the set, and we yes. see Matt Smith. Yeah, and at first I was just like, "Oh God, they have done it! It is Doctor Who in Doctor Who." Mm. But actually, you know, I I now read that as Hartnell knew that this show was going to run and run and run. Yes, and yeah. you know, a lot of that was on his shoulders. Yeah, he he's he was it, without him, the show may well never have have gotten to this point, and now it is so established that. As I say, it it can never truly die, hmm. even if they take it off the air. See, sooner or later, someone will put it back on again. You know, 
it's just it's such an enduring unkillable idea and and making that bold choice to say anyone can be the doctor Mm. was you know was an essential step to that again um i i I don't know if you're aware of this because it it was in the version that i watched and not the version you did uh there there was an interview with hartnell's granddaughter Right, yeah. Uh, who was talking about when he came back, was it The Three Doctors? The Three Doctors, And yes, they were talking yeah. about how they filmed that for him. And yeah, they were like, yeah, look... very poorly there. Yeah. He he didn't have to learn any lines. Yeah. They simply held up the lines for him. And yeah. as long as he sort of hit the tone and the message of those lines, it was good enough. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I thought that was quite good. And yes. Well, I, I don't want to get too emotional because the ending is quite sad. Yeah. But I, I did like that the version I watched ended with Hartnell's sort of farewell quote as the Doctor. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's on the, the broadcast version as well. Yeah. So, so, yes, yeah. I shall come back. Until yeah. then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs. And prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Yeah, so that speech, that's actually taken from uh, the direct invasion of Earth. It's the speech he gives to Susan. When she leaves, that's right. Because we do see it earlier in the show, don't we? Yeah, yeah, it's when she's leaving to to, to go and live her own life with with her boyfriend that she's met. Um, And yeah, it's a beautiful speech. It's a very complex emotional moment. That's that whole yeah. scene. I won't go into to masses of detail, but you know, he's on the one hand, he he he's the doctor is kind of he's doing the right thing, but he's doing it in quite a brutal, blunt way. Mm. Um, but yeah, it it's a love. It, they couldn't have ended it any other way. I don't no, think. No, and it's lovely after you've seen. An amazing performance from from David Bradley. It's lovely to 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 just cap it off. Give us the real deal. Uh, just a little bit of William Hartnell, mm. and uh, yeah, and then it just goes into little little biographies of what what they went on to do. The you know the key players, um, and that's that. God, what just what an amazing film. Yeah, no, I really it, enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I... and I'm so I'm so glad you did, I, and and you didn't feel like this was just time wasting. Um, no, I'm because, not entirely certain yeah. what I was expecting, but like I said, I did quite enjoy that. Fantastic, and uh, obviously, I've just checked. We've gone ninety yeah. minutes. When did that become like the norm for our show? <laughs> I mean, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I was totting up like total times, and like yeah. when we did the lodger, that was like a brisk thirty minutes. Yeah, I mean. To be fair, there is more to do. There is just physically, there's, there's, it's a longer piece. But um, yeah, we, it's the fiftieth. This is this is an exciting. This was a, probably the most exciting time for me in living memory as a Doctor Who fan. Um, there was so the much of it in so. the air. I, I, as a Doctor Who fan, within relation to Doctor Who. Okay. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it, it was it was it was a it was a thrilling time. We we uh, it was so nice to see the show being celebrated in this way, and of course, um, 
next week we are going to be hitting the peak of those celebrations. Oh, with... yeah. Episode 100, baby. Episode 100. We're finally there. Um, and, uh, yeah, in addition to our own celebrations of the, of the podcast, we will be discussing the Day of the Doctor. But before we get there... Go on. I've got another little bonus episode for you to watch. And I'm just going to chuck it at you and we'll watch it live because it's... Uh, just a final little tease. I warned you about this. <laughs> this needs to stop. Oh, I think God. this will probably be the last one we do. I was excited there. I was going to fire up the laptop and watch some Robot Wars. I won't keep you too much longer, Matt. I'm just pulling it up now. I nearly <sighs> forgot about it. But then so, I Whilst we're loading this, everyone else yeah. can just be getting on with their poems. Don't forget, yep. episode 100... I'm going to be so excited. I might even do it drunk. <laughs> Should we do that? Get absolutely Why blasted. Not? My dog is going crazy. Just bear with me. Um, be back in a tick. He's <sighs> left me again. Left me again. All on my own. Don't really know what to discuss after I've talked about what I've had for dinner. Um, I did have a nice cup of tea and a Tunnock's caramel wafer uh, as a little snack this afternoon. Probably my favourite biscuit. For those of you that are interested, I did go back to Big Morrison's this weekend. Uh, went to the cafe, actually. Took advantage of the eat out to help out scheme. I had a Morrison's Ultimate Breakfast with black coffee. I'd highly recommend it. That was at Morrison's Rippon, though. Not not my favourite big Morrison's. Morrison's Darlington. Uh, I got some ingredients and made a paella. That was nice. Nice treat for my wife. <sighs> oh, he's back. He's back. Right, then. Okay. So this is a miniature episode entitled The Last Day. Okay, I'll do a countdown and then we'll unpause if that's okay. Yeah. Apart from anything else, I've got a fucking Grammarly advert. How many Grammarly adverts do you get per day? Too many. <sighs> I'll tell you what, so though, whilst this is Grammarly. Um, yeah. at any point, I, when I was watching that documentary that links... McGann to Eccleston. At any yeah. point, are we going to watch that really stupid animated one that's got your favourite actor doing the voice? Yeah, Scream of the Schalke. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Looked crap. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I have no idea what it's like. I, I've I've kind of saved it for myself as a as one of the, my little treat things that I'll get to one day. I've got a few bits and bobs like that. The Curse of Fatal Death is another one. I've never seen that, <laughs> which was Stephen Moffat's uh, comic relief oh, parody yeah. of Doctor Who that he wrote. Uh, it's finally given me a skip ad button after 45 seconds. Right. So five, four, three, two, one. The last day. Okay, so... The 
Yeah, so this is... Sort of robot that's been given a new head. It's all POV style, like like peep show. Yeah, you can see the heads-up display. And there's some sort of Mm -hmm. soldier tuning him in, sorting him out. Mm -hmm. Seal of Rassilon on his armour. Oh, is that what that is? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So, whatever they've done has side effects that make you go mental. Mm hmm. Oh, so, he looks in the mirror, freaks out. Some sort of hallucination. Oh, so it's like a black box. When you die, your family get your memories. Mm-hmm. Nice little joke about bad language. Indeed. It's a family show. Who's this guy? Just a guy. So a little military speech. Mm-hmm. They're on a sky trench, whatever that is. They are indeed. Yeah. And there's 400. And they're on Arcadia. Ah. Oh, it's on Gallifrey. Yeah, the- you remember mentions of the fall of Arcadia? Right, now they're messing about with some sort of machine. So, one Dalek, if it gets through, yeah. destroys the entire that's what city. Lo- that's what they're looking for. But they're supremely confident. Yeah. Uh, he's got to zoom in to see what it is. Going to be what do you think news. it's going to be, Matt? It is, of course, a cheeky Dalek. <laughs> oh, look at him go. lost in space, floating around. Right, so they want him to lock on, but he can't, because he's freaking out. Imagine being scared of one Dalek. Uh, I suppose there's more than one. <laughs> yeah, there's a few. Uh, it's all gone tits up. Game over. Game over. Oh, dear. So that that must be pre-Time War, Fall of Gallifrey, I imagine. Well, uh, I'd say during Time War. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it it definitely can't be modern, because everything's dead. Yes, yeah, this is certainly before before the the downfall of Gallifrey. Right. So, yeah, and that, that... What's next? What next little mini episode docudrama are you going to throw at me? Uh, uh, you can watch the uh, you can watch the uh, trailer if you like. It's a beautiful trailer. No, because that was the day of the day of the doctor. No, it's not like that. It's not a spoilery trailer at all. Uh, I, I think I'll pass. I think <laughs> in combined, I've watched 
this week alone, I've watched the film. Yeah. A documentary about the film. Yeah. A second documentary linking the film to the series. Yep. A yep. docudrama. Yep. And this. Uh, the, the, and the Night of the Doctor. Don't forget the Minnesota Night, Night of the Doctor. Yeah, so I reckon <laughs> I've watched about six hours, if not more, of prep for this show. And in total, <laughs> I've watched about eight minutes of Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. And just imagine if uh, we get to the Day of the Doctor next week and you think it's shite. It better be good. I am dreading it. I don't know, because we, we've been on a bit of a high. Like, we have. You know, yeah. all my negativity stemmed around watching the adventure in time and space and that's probably the best yeah. thing i've watched recently exactly yeah that turned out to be great and like you, you had a lot of anxieties over clara's um storyline they wrapped that up nicely with name of the doctor you know who knows who knows where they're gonna go better be good well you'll find out next week won't you mm. as will our listeners um so that about does it for this week. Uh, as ever, thank you ever so much for listening, everyone. We really do appreciate it. Uh, get your poems into us. Yeah. Get your in fact, questions just in. anything. For episode 100, fact, mm. just anything you want. Just send a poem. <laughs> if you've got a drawing, I'll put it on Twitter. If you've got questions, we'll read them out. Just Song abuse, requests for David singing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just anything. Let's go mad next week. <laughs> God, it's going to be three hours long. This is an hour and 45. (laughs) And, you know, I'd say we haven't done that many tangents this week. Not really. We've been pretty on top of it. Let's go big. Let's go big. Yeah. Yeah. To quote Rick Mail, let's do it. (laughs) 100%. All right. Well, thank you ever so much for listening, everyone. And uh, until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme. <laughs>